Welcome to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. I'm your host, Sammy Reyes, a college student here to help you fashion your passion and transform your life. This past year, I've learned a lot about living out your true passions and implementing the best habits, and I'm ready to share these tips with you. Season three is nothing like you've ever heard on any other podcast before, and I'm so excited to take you on this journey with me. Let's get to it. As many of you know, this podcast was just a 4 a.m. idea in preparation for a school project. Now it is a way that I get to spread my voice and help other teens create the best habits for their life. I want to hear your voice too. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's all the tools you need in the app or on their website. And my favorite part is that Anchor distributes your podcast for you so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You can make money from your podcast too. It's everything you need. And all you have to do is go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. I can't wait to listen to your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. I am here with Houston Craft, who is a speaker, leadership consultant, and kindness advocate who speaks all around the country talking about a bunch of different things. I heard Houston speak, I would say about Three years ago, I was so moved by his message, and I'm so happy to welcome Houston onto the show. Thanks, Sammy. Where was it that we got to hang out? It was a a conference, and what do you remember me talking about? What did we chat? I think, I don't even remember what the first one is, but I know you came to Somers, and then I think, didn't you come to like the state conference as well? Do I remember that correctly? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It might be even more than three years ago. So it's so fun that. You're still thinking about what we chatted about that day. It's good yeah. to be reconnected with you. Yeah, for sure. For my listeners who don't know you, can you just give a little bit about your background, sort of what you do right now, dive into that and sort of talk about a little bit about the journey getting to what you do today? Yeah, well, I think you mentioned in my bio, but I'll reiterate, I'm a kindness advocate. And I say that that's like most of my that's my work. That's what I want to be about my life. And that's what I want to try to help other people wrestle with. And I don't know, based on the current realities of the world, I feel like, I think sometimes I take for granted, or I think maybe even the world takes for granted a bit, the idea that kindness isn't normal. This idea that we, I think we all sort of like agree that kindness is a good thing, but I think sometimes it's easy to forget that it's a really proactive thing. It's something we have to like go after in our life. We have to build habits around. It's an action that we have to take. And usually it's an action that costs us time or energy or comfort to give. So I spend most of my time trying to build tools and tell stories that help people access more kindness in their lives and create more kindness in the world. So sometimes that means speaking at a school or a conference or an event. Most of my work is with a company called Character Strong that I co-founded with one of my best friends. And we write curriculum for schools to teach the stuff that they don't typically teach in school. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, math, science, English, history, that's just important and good. What about the other side, the other the half of what it means to be human, which is how do we show up and have a healthy relationship with ourselves and the people around us? How do we be a part of a community? even with people that are different than us or have different opinions than us? And how do we make sure that we contribute more than we take? Yeah, and it's so good. I remember like when you first talked about like the character strong, like that the app that you guys have for that. Mm-hmm. 
I remember like I downloaded it immediately and I was like going through all the little things and I was so, so, so excited about it. And I think I still like still have it on my phone somewhere and I still, you know, pop in once in a while, just check things out. And it's because for me back then, like I was just so confused with everything. So it was a way for me to sort of like, you know, do something for others in that way. You know, I was able to sort of make connections and do all that stuff like that. What really inspired you to, you know, start to focus on, you know, sort of the topic of kindness and create characters strong as sort of like this brand business type thing? Yeah, I I was lucky, Sammy. I think in a lot of ways that in high school for me, I found two things that I felt really passionate about. One of them was theater. I started theater in ninth grade, literally because I broke my ankle I was like a big soccer player growing up. And then I broke my ankle and like didn't make the team and ended up getting recruited for a musical, even though I can't sing. But (laughs) I did this musical and I found out that I love being on stage and telling stories. I felt like stories, stories for all of time have been used to, to communicate those like complicated things about our life in ways that allow us to hear them a little bit better. And then I got involved in leadership. And leadership, student leadership at my school, I don't know, sometimes at some schools it can be really poster-making-y and event-oriented, which like those things are cool and, and worthwhile. But the program I got to be a part of was like really about the heart of it. Like, what does it mean to serve people? What does it mean to leave people better than you found them? What does it mean to empower people and, and truly show up and try to create a school where everyone feels like they're safe and they belong and they matter and they're loved? And so I learned a lot about leadership and a lot about theater and storytelling. And so when I got to college, I at least had this like baseline of stuff I knew I loved. Sort of the question I asked myself a lot throughout college is like, what is the intersection of those things? I don't know if you've ever heard the word ikigai, but it's a Japanese idea. And it's like, picture like a really complicated Venn diagram with all these different circles that come together and intersect. And the, the translation for the word ikigai means a reason for being. It's like purpose, right? It's purpose plus what I'm good at, plus what the world needs, plus what I can make money at. Like that's where I started to like investigate for myself. How do I take the intersection of these things that I care about, some of the things that I've built skills around, and then what does the world need more of? And that's kind of how I stumbled upon at least speaking to start. I spent the first six years of my career wandering around the country, talking at schools and and telling stories. I was a motivational speaker, assembly speaker. And then I realized that like a one day speech was really cool, but I really believe in like systems change, right? How do we actually change complicated systems and how do we change cultural norms and make them better? And I really believe that's through education. So I was like, okay, how do we impact education through curriculum, through training teachers and adults? I always come back to that question, Sammy, of like, What's the reason for being? And in fact, if you like ever wanted to Google that word ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, and you'll find this really cool like template, all these circles that come together. And there's like cool prompts to ask yourself of what are all these things and how do they work together to shape what will ultimately be my, my passion, my purpose, my reason for being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I actually have heard of Ikigai before and we used it at some, you know, event that I ran a couple of months ago at school. Yeah. And I think that honestly, like when I first discovered it, I was so like blown away because I think when you sort of, you know, 
connect and sort of allow the different things in your life that you love to overlap with each other and sort of combine, it really is cracking the code for like how to live out your best life. You know what I mean? And I think that you are so successful in what you do because you figured that out because you know you said like okay I have all these things that I like to do I have all these things that I've been doing for a while how can I sort of combine them to a you know find something for myself to you know sustain the rest of my life with but also you know how can I make change in that I want to touch on you know sort of this concept of belonging so explain to me, you know, your thoughts on that and what you feel like it really means to belong somewhere and sort of what have you learned from traveling all around the country and doing all these different things, that some other people, what they think about it as well. We have a few human needs that, you know, our world doesn't always address as directly. So we talk a lot about those like basic human needs of shelter and water and food and we know those things are important, but sometimes I think, particularly in the U.S., we have this really bizarre unraveling that, it, I don't know, in some ways we're kind of seeing it happen right now, where so much of our country is transactional because we've been convinced like that that's all we need. It's like that we, if we have a house and if we have the money and we have the job that is prestigious or we earned the good degree, like those transactions. If I get X, then I'm going to get Y. And you you see the story play out in celebrities that have all this money in the world and deeply unhappy. And you see the statistics, which tell us that one in three teenagers will have an anxiety disorder by the age of 18. But the average young person today has as much anxiety as the average psychiatric patient from the 1950s. And there's like all these data points that one in two adults in the U.S. would say that they're lonely. And you're like, well, maybe we're missing something. (laughs) Maybe we're doing something wrong, or at least we have a missing puzzle piece. And I think so much of that puzzle or so much of that gap could be filled in with an umbrella term like belonging, right? Like belonging Mm -hmm. means both community belonging. Do I belong a, a part of a bigger whole? Do I sense the worthiness of my relationship to something bigger than myself? Uh, whether that's just a small group of friends, whether that's a part of my, the job I'm working in, whether that's a part of a community or my school. Then there's belonging in a more interpersonal level of like, do I belong in the friend group I'm in? Do I belong in the context of my family? Do I belong in the context of my culture? Am I different than so much of what my culture says I am or what I'm supposed to be? And then there's the like really complicated sensation of belonging with ourself. Like, do I feel safe in my own skin? Do I uh, have an understanding of my identity, of my place in the world, of of who I am when I'm around people that make me uncomfortable? Who am I when I'm around my best friends? Who am I when I'm alone? And all those questions are not black and white. They're not as checkoffable as so many of the other transactional things that our world promotes. And I think that's part of the reason we avoid them is because they are non-answerable and in a direct form. They're not something we arrive at or can quote unquote finish these ongoing reflections of our life. And if I don't have the tools to ask those questions or wrestle with those questions or face sometimes like the complicated answers I come up with, 
then I don't know if you're like me, Sammy, but like when I don't know how to do something, I tend to avoid it. If I go to the Mm -hmm. gym and I don't know how to use this machine over here, I'll probably go and use the machine that I do know over here. And I think that's where we're at as a culture. And I think in some ways, it's like quarantine where we've had to, so many people have ended up unemployed. So many people have ended up like just being at home, either with themselves or with their family. And we're having a moment of like collective understanding that maybe our entire world is not driven by a paycheck or our to-do list, but maybe there's like something deeper we have to wrestle with personally and collectively. And I think that concept is well encapsulated by the word belonging. How do I belong? How do I make other people belong? And, and what is the process to feel some level of purpose, passion, or contentment in the context of everything else going on in the world? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I feel like sometimes, you know, for people, it could be so hard because like you said, like this world is ever changing and there's so many scenarios where you have to sort of be a different part of yourself in order to be, you know, more comfortable in that situation. What are your thoughts on like, you know, obviously you've spoken at a bunch of middle schools and high schools and stuff like that. So what are your thoughts on really that environment and belonging in that environment and how people even later on in their life too will sort of like not be their genuine selves, you know, just to belong? Yeah, you know, the context of of school it's like this bizarre thing that we torture each other with. It's like, okay, let's everyone show up to the same place, even though no one quite knows who they are yet for the most part. And let's put you into a high stress environment with a bunch of people that you don't know super well. And ready to go. (laughs) It's like school is this really bizarre social experiment that we perform all the time. And we forget, it's easy to forget how challenging truly that space is. And what a bunch of the research would say is that like in a place like school, the vast majority of people actually want to show up and be kind and empathetic and have belonging themselves and make other people feel like they belong. But so much of the challenge is like the perception of what the result of me either showing up as truly myself is going to give me or if I'm defending someone else from harm, what's going to happen to me. So I'll dig into both of those for a second. Like me showing up as my full unique self, really naturally you think about like school is this place that any sort of deviation from the quote unquote norm is going to cause people to look at you differently. So Mm -hmm. we tend to try to, modulate ourselves towards a baseline, right? Like we want to get as close as we can to normal because the farther away we get from the baseline, the more people are going to pay attention to us. And sometimes that attention is good. And sometimes that attention can hurt or feel uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with it. Mm. So by the time we get to high school, everyone kind of like tries to normalize in some way or they stand out in really, really big ways. Like they kind of go to the opposite extreme, right? Right. And then for those who make fun of those people who are outside of the norm, I think most people want to defend those people, but we have this social perception that if I defend this person over here, well, then this person over here is going to mock me or laugh me or embarrass me or humiliate me. Mm -hmm. So most of the research isn't like, It's not like we have to teach empathy that much. We actually have like a lot of innate empathy in us. 
It's actually more about how do we figure out what gets in our way and learning how to wrestle with that. So if I don't have a clear identity, as we were talking a bit about earlier, if I haven't made clear to myself that I'm the kind of person who will stand up for others, even at the expense of my own reputation or my own comfort, if I don't have that really clear in my mind and I watch someone else getting mocked or made fun of or you know, their belongingness reduced, even if I want to be kind, I typically won't step in. Even if I feel mm-hmm. empathy for that person, I won't step in because I haven't declared for myself that I'm the type of person who will step in. Right. So, and that's not just true in high school, but I think those feelings tend to be amplified in high school because we are in such an identity discovery process and most people haven't been given the tools to wrestle with those questions yet. So mm-hmm. even though they want to be their unique selves or stand up for others, the exterior pressures, the things that get in the way, the things we're scared of tend to be bigger than the things that we believe in yet because we haven't declared the things we believe in as bigger than our fear yet. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I feel like, like you said, like fear could be so, so overpowering in a sense, you know, and it could, it could, you know, lead you to not do the things you wish to do. So what are some of your suggestions in terms of like combating that fear that, you know, many may experience on a daily or weekly basis and that really hold them back from doing things they want to do and, you know, talking to people or standing up for people that, you know, they want to stand up for or talk to or stuff like that? Yeah, I think it's a couple parts. The first one would be recognition, right? Everything starts with awareness. So giving yourself tools, like in even learning more about empathy or compassion and acknowledging, at least in my brain, that there's like this filter that my actions go through. And just knowing that I have that filter or or equipping myself with that filter can be the first step in being more the kind of person I want to be. So if I know, for example, that fear is the thing that's getting in my way, and I process moments where I have a question of like, should I act A or should I act B? Even just in self-reflection, being able to go back and say, well, was that an action I took out of fear? Or was that inaction out of fear or not? Like that's just like step one, right? Baseline awareness. Step two would be to start to push back against ourselves, which kind of sounds like a weird concept. But I think about fear in my brain as lies that we've told ourselves long enough that we've started to believe that they're true. Think for just a second about all the data that you get on any given day. You get data from your family, from your friends. You get people who say things to you that are positive, that are hurtful. Our culture, what you watch on TikTok or Instagram or read on Twitter, all those things are indicators of how you're supposed to normalize or, or act or be or behave. And we, in today's reality, we get more data in an hour than people used to get in sometimes like 10 years of their life, you know, if you go back historically. And our brains haven't necessarily evolutionarily caught up with the ability to sort that data fast enough into the right buckets. And I say that because it's entirely likely that you have seen things or been exposed to ideas that maybe you didn't actually believe like you wanted to live like or, or live by. But because we get so much inbound, we don't have time to separate true or false. And so sometimes our life starts to get dictated by these data points that we never asked for 
and never even got a chance to like consult on, which is bizarre. But like our culture controls the way we act or behave, sometimes without our permission. And so if I can start to get more disciplined about self-reflection, whether that's journaling, talking to a friend who it feels safe with, meditating, whatever that looks like for you, asking questions like, is this the me that I want to be? Is this actually helpful for my life? Is this a lie or is this capital T truth? Right? Is it capital T true that I'm going to get humiliated by standing up for this person? Or is my fear of rejection as real as my brain is trying to convince me it is? Because the irony, Sammy, as you probably have seen in your life before, is like the people that actually like stand up and even in the face of being rejected, defend others, we typically respect those people the most. The people that are sort of tepid and, and toe the line and normalize themselves are at best forgettable and at worst their silence is complicit in the action itself. So one is awareness. Two is the recognition that not everything that our culture tells us to act or do or be is necessarily capital T true. And then part three would be, think about it like an exercise. Standing up for this person over here or acting in this way that feels totally in line with myself might feel like a hundred pound action. And sometimes if I know that I can't lift a hundred pounds, I'll get discouraged and I walk out of the gym altogether. But you know as well as I do that the only way that we eventually lift 100 pounds is to start with five and then 10 and then 20. So like, what does it look like, not only from a classical skill building perspective to get better at piano or Mm -hmm. cello or running or weightlifting? The same thing's true about our character, about things like kindness or empathy, is if I can break down a really challenging action of 100 pounds, into a five pound act and practice that thing consistently, then eventually I'll be strong enough for the hundreds. Right. No, a hundred percent. I think that, you know, it's definitely like through, you know, self-reflection and all this stuff like that. It is sort of a process of curating your own culture, realizing where you are in this world and what the culture around you is like and the society around you is like, and sort of, you know, creating something that you feel better about, like who you surround yourself with, what you do every day. I feel like that is sort of the trick in a way to becoming sort of this more confident upstander in a sense. Yeah. I want to roll into the final question. This is a question that I ask all of the guests who have ever been on the podcast. So based off of the title of this podcast, which is Fashion Your Passion, what is one tip that you would give dreamers based off of how you have fashioned your passion? Consistency would be my one word advice. I'm 10 years into this thing, Sammy, and just starting to feel really clear and really deeply competent at what I do. And that's a really cool feeling. And it doesn't happen just because you read a bunch of the books or did the online class. And it doesn't happen because you had a one successful product or video or whatever the thing is. It only happens through like the deep repetition over time. And it's been probably over, you know, I've spoken in over 600 schools. I've delivered stories in a lot of places and a lot of situations. And there's a really cool feeling that comes truly only in the past year or so for me where I feel like you could put me on any stage and I'd feel competent, like I would know what to do. And that like deep level of knowing and and confidence in your work 
is something that I didn't know that I wanted. Uh, and mm-hmm. I really love about the work I get to do now. It's just also like perpetually humbling too. Like you keep learning about how much you don't know about the thing and that drives you to be better. And consistency over time has been the thing that has probably opened up all the opportunities that exist in my life is just because I show up, I'm clear on why I'm doing the work and I keep doing the work to the best of my ability. Um, so consistency is everything. And to do that consistency with compassion towards yourself and others, that's the real key. Yes, I love that so, so, so much. Where can people find you on the internet, on social media and stuff like that to get more of your goodness? More of the goodness? Yeah, mostly the internet. If you want to show up to my house, I'm here in California. Come by and visit. But the internet's a good place to chat. I'm probably most active or responsive to stuff like this on Instagram, which is at Houston Craft. Houston like the city, craft like the cheese. <laughs> find me there. I'm hanging out there. I'm talking about things there all the time uh, related to this work. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from you. Yes. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in once again to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. I hope you learned something from this episode. And if you did, don't forget to screenshot you listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story and tag me at Fashion Your Passion podcast. I love hearing what you learned. As well, do not forget to scroll down and leave a rating and review. I love to read those too and know what you guys are thinking about the podcast. Be sure to tell all of your friends about this podcast because I want to spread this to as many teens as possible. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week.